In this episode, we chat with Andrea Waltz, co-author of the books, Go for No and When They Say No. Andrea shares insights on how to shift our mindset towards failure, rejection, and no. Not as things to avoid, but to pursue. She explains the concept of explicit rejection versus implicit rejection and how comfort zones are never static. We also dive into the importance of setting no goals and how to implement the go for no approach responsibly. Andrea shares stories of companies that have succeeded by embracing rejection and discusses the dynamics of co-authoring a book with her husband. Lastly, we talk about their latest book, When They Say No, the definitive guide for handling rejection in sales and the impact of bad yeses in the sales process. All right, Andrea, thank you very much for being on the show. As I told you, the first thing I want to do is read a section uh, from the book and uh, see where you go with that. Okay. Okay. Uh, I love this concept. And I think anybody who's in sales uh, can appreciate this perspective. And this is what it says. The salesperson never decides when the sale's over. The customer does. What does that mean? Mm, Yeah. Well, too often uh, as salespeople, I think we operate and sometimes we sell from our own wallets. So if, and if we're doing that, we look at everything through the lens of what we would uh, spend on something, what we could afford to spend on something. So if somebody goes over our own mental spending limit, we immediately start shutting them down. And in this case, in Richard's case, in the book, you know, he was having this great sale and the guy got to his mental spending limit. So he just started doing the actions necessary to take that guy, like literally walked up to the register, rang this guy up and sent him on his way. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's all about selling from our own perspective. Right. And I I think that's the first mind shift in the book that really hit me Uh, when you're reading through the story and, you know, he's having these conversations with his, his twin (laughs) alter ego, if you will. Uh, you know, that, that realization of what did they say no to versus what did they say yes to? I thought that was telling because in the book, uh, for those that are listening, watching, uh, they're, the, the, the main character is sitting down with someone who's asking them about a deal that he closed. And they're asking him, what did they say no to as opposed to what did they say yes to? So you could, if you're a sales manager and you're doing forecast reviews, it's like, perfect timing to ask a rep that is what are your prospects what are your deals your your opportunity saying no to as a as to to get uh, the ball moving forward so i think it's definitely a mind shift of you know like trying to get to to a no so let's let's take it back and tell the audience a little bit more about the book can you give them just the 30 second overview yeah so it's a short fable it is about a guy who's a pretty average person, uh, average salesperson, goes to bed one night, wakes up the next morning in a beautiful house, belongs to, as he discovers, a wildly successful 10-year-in-the-future version of himself. He has somehow traveled 10 years in the future. He, this other him, owns this beautiful house and and has all this great success and has written books and it's it's crazy. And now, uh, so it's really the story of how uh, the average salesperson and the main character's name is Eric, how he has to figure out along with his alter ego, uh, what happened? Like, how did their paths diverge? Because he's on the mediocre path of like day in, day out. How did this other version of him become so successful? Because if he can figure that out, 
and then somehow figure out how to get back home and start <laughs> yeah. doing those things, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Then presumably he would be successful. He's, he's learning from his future self, his future successful self in an alternative realm, I would guess, right? So exactly. It, 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 it's funny because we can visualize that in ourselves every single day. And I think that's kind of the vision a lot of us try to hold to, at least I do, is this version of myself in the future that is successful and doing all the things and having the impact that I hope to have. But then the question is, well, how do I go from where I'm at now where, I, you know, I'm, I'm content, but you know, how do you go to that, that place? How do you make that journey? And so he gets to actually sit down with this person, his version of himself and say, okay, Let's unpack this. Let's reverse engineer what it took. And so it, the premise, it sounds like, in getting to the house and that level of success and those things that you mentioned were his embracing, not, not just embracing, but um, looking to fail, looking to hear no, right? Yeah, it's really taking failure to the next level because he has he has spent his career in an old paradigm, which is I should do everything within my power not to hear no, not to mm -hmm. fail not to mess up, whatever. And this new version of him is like, no, you've got to be willing to fail. You've got to actually want to hear no more often. And if you aren't hearing no more often, if you're going to bed every night and you're not hearing no ever, then you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's the real big mindset shift is how you think about no in your business and failure and rejection. So anybody who has to face any kinds of rejection, whether you're a founder, entrepreneur, trying to sell your ideas or actually sell and acquire new customers, a salesperson, a sales leader. I mean, anybody can really relate to having to deal with this sort of thing. Um, so I, I like it because it also puts a spin on like even content creation, Right? There's a lot of us that are trying to build a brand and we're scared as hell to build a brand because we're worried about what people are going to think. We're worried about failing. People aren't going to, we're not getting the views. We're not going to get the likes. People aren't going to follow us and it's not going to monetize, right? And it's going to be out in the open. Everybody's going to see it. And so let me just not do that thing because I don't want to you know, fail in public. Uh, and this book isn't terribly long for those that are listening. I mean, it's honestly 75, 80 pages of text. Uh, but you literally walk away feeling like, what's the next thing I can fail on? Like right now, here and now, in this moment, it was it was uh, a Monday evening. I'm finishing up the book last night, and I'm sitting there in my uh, living room wondering, like, what can I do that would take me out of my comfort zone? And you know, I might fail at, but I would be taking a chance in the right direction. So it's a very compelling, while short, very compelling read. So I appreciate it already so far. Awesome. Well, thank you. And that and that's the goal. That's what we want people to walk away with is just that mindset shift. And there's no, you know, it is everybody does walk away with something different based right, on your right. own situation, but it's a timeless principle that failure and success are a package deal. Can't have one without the other. I love that you said that. Yeah. It's so in the book, you even point out that uh willingness to fail is the top at the top of the list of what makes most successful people. And you said it was timeless. This book was written in 2000, right? Yes. I feel, we feel like dinosaurs, Richard and I. <laughs> no new thing under the sun. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And it is, it is timeless. It's a principle that, and to your point too, about rejection, you know, there are, there's ex explicit rejection where somebody literally you say like, Hey, are you interested in taking a look at my offer? And they just say flat out, no, thanks. 
And then there's there's the implicit rejection. So you put something out there, you do a video, you make some interesting, what you consider to be interesting, you know, thought-provoking post on LinkedIn and a couple people <laughs> like it, nobody comments. <laughs> and you're like, wow, I poured awesome my heart space. and my soul in this, right? So there's that implicit rejection that uh, that happens as well. And so it is a, this universal idea. And because of that, that's why you're always having to, as you said, you do have to push outside your comfort zone. You do have to uh, do things that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the results were. It doesn't matter whether you you failed or not. The fact is that you did it, that you made the attempt. Right. Yeah. I, I grew up uh, with it pounded into my head that as long as you tried your hardest, no one's going to be, you know, one's going to come down on you. And I had a big, scary dad, you know, and so it was one of those things where it's like you, you, you were worried about uh, failing because you, the consequences might be dire. And when someone empowers you like that and says, no, no consequences, no, just as long as you've done your best and you've gone out there and risked it and did what you could, then, you know, the world won't be mad at you. Um, one thing that really stood out to me again on the book is that the comfort zone, our comfort zones are never static. That was, that definitely stood out to me. They're always in a state of expansion or retraction. So trying to put yourself in an uncomfortable place, because if you're not putting yourself constantly in an uncomfortable place, then what's happening is you're getting more and more comfortable, the less uncomfortable you become over time. Right. And so then you tend to take less risks. You tend to play it safe and not do the things that get you closer to the the, the yeses, I guess, that you're looking for. Is that right? Completely. And, and I remember very distinctly uh, uh, last year, I did a lot of um, what I call 21 day go for no challenges. So oh. I'd get a small group of people and people in all different businesses and industries. And I remember mm -hmm. talking to one gentleman and he said, my CRM, he was decently successful. I mean, this guy was successful at what he did, financial planner type guy. And he said, my CRM is filled with gold. It is just like, there's so much gold there. And he goes, and I don't know why I am not digging into it. And I, I think, so we talked a little bit about that complacency. I think, I think what happens is we get complacent. There yeah. may be mm -hmm. almost a little feeling especially people who have achieved some level of success. And I'm guilty of this as well, which is a little bit of feeling of entitlement. Like, why would I have yeah, to put myself through that? <laughs> I've paid my dues. I've done this already. Right. Uh, yes, you have. And you have to keep doing it because that's just how the world works. I mean, there right. are a few people, you know, Beyonce's calls are all returned, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, okay. So she, I, we'll just take her out of the mix. There's a right, few right. other people like that, right? But even people who are really successful mm. here know they go for bigger no's, they're working on bigger deals. And if you're not, if you are just um, playing it safe, your comfort zone does shrink around you. And what used to feel relatively comfortable now all of a sudden feels like, well, I, I don't want to be uncomfortable anymore. And I don't, I shouldn't have to. And, and, and so that complacency, and I see that a lot, actually. Yep, yep, yep absolutely. And I think that's... Uh... It's probably 80 to 90% of people. There's a quote that comes to mind. Um, the only way to know how far we can go is by taking chances. I don't know who quote who wrote that quote. Uh, I'll have to check it and put it in the show notes and give them credit. But I think that's a telling part of what you're talking about. Like people aren't 
you know, you have to be willing to take those chances. If you rate it back to, you know, sales, um, whether it's taking on a stretch assignment, uh, taking on that tough territory, um, putting in the work to, hear, you know, make more calls and so forth. I mean, all of this work sometimes is uncomfortable. And if you have had some level of success and you're trending towards target, you might take your foot off the gas pedal. You know, you might, you know, once you're at quota, you might kick back and, and relax and not go for the the overdrivers and the uh, multipliers in your comp plan. But talk to me about no goals and how those play into helping people overdrive and always ensure that they're reaching success. Yeah. So this is the perfect way to implement go for no. And that is uh, to kind of look at goal setting a different way. And we all set like typical yes goals. So it's the goals mm -hmm. for the yeses and, and all of those, you know, all of the, everything in that matrix, whatever KPIs that you analyze, they're all based on yeses. They're mm -hmm. all, and they're all based on kind of moving the ball down the field to use the football analogy. Uh, and so no goals is a totally different thing. It's, it's tracking how many times someone said no to you. And that could be uh, just in general, right. or it could be even in a specific sale. So if you've got a sales process where there are multiple decisions, there's um, multiple steps in the process, right. and then you may get hung up on one or two. So there can be no's within that. But it, but you know, instead of so the kind of the classic example. Well, actually, I'll use myself as an example. So Richard and I, we um we had a yes goal of four yeses per month. When we first started our company, after we left corporate America, we we started and we were setting yes goals like everybody else. And ours was four. And we would totally, after we left, it, we got kind of drunk on freedom. <laughs> we were like, like, this is so great. We don't have to work every day for 10 hours a day. This is great. So we would get our yes goal mid-month. And then we would take off like a week or two and be like, kick back and let's not worry about the next four yeses until next month. And then we said, wait a minute, what if we got, what if we uh, got 100 companies to say no to us each month? So instead of just focusing on the four yeses and like, we're dictating that quota, we're, our income is at that level because we set that goal. Mm -hmm. And we said, let's just get 100 no's. And it could be 100 new individual prospects. It could be a couple no's within a within a, um, a deal, exactly, something like that. Um, but I mean, when we were getting up to 60, 70 no's, we had more business than we knew what to do with because we were booking out dates. Uh, we were like totally flush. The pipeline was full. And then what would happen is, <laughs> again, we'd kind of go like, okay, take our foot off the brake. Don't worry about that so much. And then we would we would have a period again. If things got lean, we'd look back and we would slip back into the yes goal mindset, which is okay. All we need is the four yeses. Start setting some no goals. Just so we would get those yeses. We got a lot more than four, obviously. Mm -hmm. And um, what happened was it was like a couple of things. One, it was just we were able to gamify it. So it just became more of a challenge like okay let's just get a no let's just like let's try to get a couple more today and it also changed the way we took it in other words we stopped we didn't take it like as personally just kind of we were training ourselves to use go for no it was rolling off our back and um you know it's what what i experienced was when i would use go for no in 
my corporate job because I was a general manager at a retail store. And so every now and then I would do some selling and it was a lot less personal because it was like, I wasn't selling something that I designed, but when we had our own business, it did become more personal. And I found those no's even tougher. Right. So, right. so, so no's, you know, setting those no goals was helpful because it was just, it made me focus on what I knew I knew was the strategy and that was to just focus on my behavior. And Richard says it all the time. He's like, listen, we know what works. What works is making calls, asking permission to send information and following up. It, that was like the bread and butter. He's like, anything that we do to complicate that is just going to take us off track. And it's true. And every time we would get involved in something else, I mean, that's those are the behaviors. And so mm -hmm. when we just focused on that, and we kept going after our nose, we got the yeses we wanted. Yeah, this is a tremendous mind shift because you're right, everything we do in life, not just in business, is seeking a yes, right? Uh, you wanna buy a house, you need to get approved, right? You These things are all, you wanna buy a car, you, get, you gotta get approved. And these you wanna move in your career, you gotta get the promotion, they have to accept you, they have to give you the yes. And it's funny to say that, well, if I was trying to, what if I got denied a bunch of times? What if I just focused on that? Because I know the yes will be there. There's a concept that I learned real early in my career. I was selling Kirby vacuums door to door at 18. And we would work six days a week, 10 hours a day, knocking on doors, trying to sell these $2,000 vacuums. And what resonated more than anything from that time, which was a total lesson you learned, I learned a lot, was every no gets you closer to a yes. And that idea just once it sunk into my head, uh, I was I was unstoppable and won all kinds of awards. I mean, I did this for a year. This wasn't like something I did it for for a short period. So it's and it's exhausting. And yeah, you get a lot of grief for it. You're the guy who's in the neighborhood knocking on the doors that people probably don't want to be bothered. But I would little things like instead of me walking down the walk path to the sidewalk to walk around to the next house, I was so eager to get to the next no. Not the yes, but the next no was I would just cut through the lawns to the next <laughs> to the next door neighbors, whether someone was, you know, uh, happy about that or not. That's that's something separate. But I was really like chasing the these no's early in my career. Now, the thing, though, is when you're chasing the no's and you're going for no, um, it's not like you're intentionally dropping the ball, though, either. Talk about the the best effort. That's also part of this. Exactly. And there's so there's so much behind that. Uh, you obviously don't want to go into interactions and intentionally fail, like intentionally screw right, up and just be right. like, well, they, they told me to get 100 no's. <laughs> so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be like my absolute worst. Well, no, that would be crazy. And um, so you absolutely want to do the best you can. But I think, uh, and and the other piece to that too, Derek, is the mindset of expecting a no as well versus accepting it. Mm -hmm. So you can go into a situation and say, I'm not going to behave as though I expect a no. So go in with yes energy, like have that positivity, ha have that mindset that and belief, that it could work right? Out, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. the belief and all that, because I wouldn't want anybody to walk in to a meeting or an appointment or anything thinking 
it's just going to be a no. Like to you, drag you my could, shoulders and yeah, slump and your shoulders. And yeah, and, yeah literally that thought probably me. would change your physiology. So we don't, we don't, yeah, we don't want that. Thank you. But yeah. when you walk in saying, I'm going to accept this no, I'm going to see it as a gift and I'm going to figure out if in that moment there's something I can do with it. So can, can I stay engaged? Can I respond positively? Can I see if there's a, an opportunity to clarify, uh, maybe come back? An objection. Yeah, come exactly. Back later. Ask yeah. a different question, come back later, follow up at a different time. So there's so much there if you're willing to accept it and accept it as part of the process like you with um, selling vacuums, which is funny because I didn't know that about you. I mean, that is as hardcore as it gets. That is go for no training at the ultimate. <laughs> and so I love that you I love that you shared that story. And the story. funny thing is I was doing that probably right when you were thinking about writing this book. <laughs> it was That's a little, right. Yeah, it was a couple of years before that. Yeah, we could we could have interviewed you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, you want to go in always doing your best and understand that it's that the failure is there, not just for failure's sake, Mm -hmm. but in order to get to success, you know, we don't success our way to success. We fail our way to success. There's, there's nothing that gets done, especially, you know, as we grow up that you just start off and you're like, wow, they're amazing. Uh, Except for maybe some prodigies out there, you know, I guess, (laughs) but even Tiger Woods had to slice some balls, right? (laughs) Every now and then. He didn't didn't always hit. Yeah. First couple of seasons, Steph didn't struggle. Michael Jordan didn't make the starting team in high school. I mean, yeah, exactly. Endless stories of the greats going through failure to get where they uh, reached. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Now there's a story in the book, uh, which I think was perfect because we call this show, the sales consultant podcast. And there's a sales consultant that partnered with, I think it was a life insurance company. uh, And these life insurance, this life insurance company had like a hundred agents that sold, uh, life insurance. And mm-hmm. this, uh, like, I, I won't give it away too much, but a sales consultant came in, gave them some no advice, gave them some no goals, and actually gave them a script, which basically said, you don't want to buy life insurance, right? And then the, the the more they could just start with that, and the stats that came out of it, I, I guess I'll give it away. Uh, it was like good news and, and bad news. 59 out of 60 homes said no. So bad news is you're facing all kinds of rejection. Good news is one out of 60 said yes. Now that sounds like really bad ratios, but when you can get a, a no, basically in a couple, I mean, a, a yes in a couple hours, just by going through 60 no's, before you know it, this organization was getting multiple deals done a day and was able to rebound uh, their organization just by the, the the mind shift and actually operationalizing this mind shift, which I love about your book is it's not just conceptual stuff and theory. You're getting into tactical layers of setting no goals and so forth. Another quote out of the book is numbing yourself to no isn't about ignoring it. It's about hearing it so often that it lose, it starts to lose its power over you. I think that was telling. Talk yeah, to us about, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. Um, well, I, I just wanted to comment on that quote and, yeah. and how much I love that too, because no one who's successful hears no one time. Like no one mm-hmm. goes, if you're an actor or uh, or a performer of any kind, you don't go on one audition. Right. You, <laughs> it'd be great. Like I went on one audition. I got picked to be in Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise. It was amazing. And then from then on, I just went, 
into movie after movie. That just doesn't happen. We all know that these people go on hundreds of auditions and most professions, most anything that you do, it requires, uh, we all know Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours. It requires so much work, so much Mm -hmm. effort. Yeah. So that numbing process, I think, is from a rejection standpoint, is in every type of career and obviously sales. Yeah. Yeah. And and the worst thing that can happen is that someone's going to tell you no. And when you start desensitizing that to, yeah, to your point, just, you don't, you don't, it has no power over you. If anything, it's exciting, you know, because, you know, it's going to get you closer to that, to that. Yes. Um, Pike syndrome. I thought that was interesting. Can you talk about what, what is Pike syndrome? Yeah. So Pike syndrome is based on a research project that was done in Canada where they trained these Pike to, uh, well, the Pike love to eat minnows and they trained these Pike to, um, to be in this, they were in this tank and uh, the pike would swim around, the minnows would be there, and the pike, of course, loved to eat the minnows. Then eventually what would, what they did was they put a glass partition up, and the pike could no longer get at the minnows. They would go for them and end up hitting their head their against the glass. They're, they're, they're bumping their nose, bumping, bumping their nose. Their nose. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's the phrase from the book. Bumping their nose, trying to get these minnows. And eventually, you know, they got tired of this. When the researchers took the glass partition out so that the pike now had access again to the minnows, they didn't go near them. So they were they were mm. trained in such a way to just accept that that invisible barrier. The, the self-limiting belief systems, the things we couldn't possibly do that thing, right? Like it's not available to us any longer. I have limitations that are in my own mind, because quite frankly, these these bikes, lunch was inches away, but they wouldn't go after them because they thought this glass wall was still there and they wouldn't bump their nose anymore. Um, I thought that was a cute story. It is. A, it is such a cute story. And the, the thing about it, Derek, too, is that um, and we don't have this in the book, but it's something that we talk about so much now. If I were to say what's like sometimes I get asked, you know, what's the one thing? that Mm -hmm. I would, that you'd want everybody to get. And that is that, that we make assumptions about what people are going to do or say to protect ourselves from getting that. No, Mm -hmm. we, we are the ones who put the glass partitions up to keep ourselves from, to, to really, it's, it's all about protecting our ego and safety and the, and the brain wanting to, to keep us safe in the, in the brain's way, which of course is, uh, extremely ineffective in today's world. And so it's remove those assumptions, just go in with a blank slate. You really don't know what that person's going to decide, do, or spend. So if we remove those assumptions and just have the courage to ask in those moments from a sales standpoint, just have the, uh, the courage to ask for the business, ask for the appointment, ask if you can get a couple minutes. I don't care how imperfect you are, how screwed up it sounds initially, you get better the more you do it. The key is to start doing it. Right. Yeah. The only way to desensitize a word is to use it. The only way to desensitize yourself to an action is to do it. Right. That was also something I highlighted in the book. There's a lot of gems in here, guys. You got to, you got to pick this book up. Um, before I s- switch gears on you, I, I want to ask about 
maybes though because the maybes will kill you right it, yeah. that's one of the things that we're trying to you know uh, call out here is that yes yes is the destination but no is how you get there let's talk about the maybes though yeah and we don't talk about the maybes in the book i don't think not yeah. not a word about maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're and they're the worst Right. So going back to this 21 day challenge, I do, I get asked all the time, people say, so Andrew, and, and this is very simple. Anybody can do this. Just challenge yourself to see how many no's you can get in 21 day period, just a focused, you know, effort. And they say, uh, should I be telling people to give me a no? Like, <laughs> right. should, should I give them the green they, light for that? What is that? A no? <laughs> yeah. And of course, nobody needs your permission because we all know as buyers ourselves that we can tell a salesperson no from the get-go. We don't need their permission. But it's interesting how when, uh, and, and it reminds me of this uh, salesperson who came by our house a few weeks ago and they were like, we do not want to sell you anything. All we want is a couple minutes to educate you on a few things about solar panels. We literally, we promise we are not going to ask you for anything. We're not going to sell you anything. And I hear this third person from Richard. So even that you go like, hmm, okay. So there's going to be no yes or no thing here. They're just, they just want to educate. So when you do that, and when you give people the uh, freedom to say no, or you remove the, pre or in any way, remove the pressure, like, oh, I don't want to have to tell these people no, uh, you know, they're college kids, they're working so hard, you don't want to do that. Um, it's amazing how people become so open-minded. And so with the maybes, my advice is give them permission to say no to you, try to get the no, just, and get it. It's going to be so much easier if you get it. And if it's not a no, they'll, they'll say, no, no, no. I, I, it's not that it's a no now uh, or forever. It's just a no right now. It's just, it's just horrible timing. And then you can take the next steps with that. So I think putting a little assertive pressure on the maybes, mm -hmm. but instead of pressuring towards yes, pressure towards no, you, you, you'll, you'll get so much more have so much more open-mindedness that way. Beautiful. I love that. This process of writing this book, I know it's been out since 2000 and you've written a new book, which we're going to talk about here in a moment, but you've done this together as a team, you and your husband. Uh, what does that process been like? I, you know, have not had to do that or had the opportunity to do that with my wife or in two completely different professions. Uh, how did that come to be? And What's it like? Because I know my marriage and my relationship with my wife and working together and living together. And I don't know if we would jive so well. That's not necessarily that we have any issues, but it's like, you know, like sometimes opposites attract and I'm in my lane and she's in hers. How do you guys make it work as a couple? Is this like two share? Is this a shared passion of yours? Talk about that process and what that dynamic is like. Yeah, yeah. Well, writing is definitely a shared passion of ours. Okay. I always wanted to be a writer. I, I, By the time Richard and I met, I had a Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice, and we were both working as retail trainers. So, And he, he had written screenplays as well. So we have that as a passion. Um, and he is definitely the creative genius of the two of us. So he has kind of taken the lead on the books. And with 
the very first book that we wrote before Go For No was called Unlocking the Secrets of Retail Magic. And he sat down and wrote that. And then I came behind and, and edited it and we talked about it and we talked about how we wanted it to go. And same thing with Go For No, really. I mean, he was in the zone with that one. He wrote it in like 17 days. Wow. It was just like, it just flowed out of him. It just, I, I, to this day, he's really not even sure how he wrote it that fast. And so I went back behind and edited the sections. And then our newest book, I was, a, I was probably a lot more involved and actually wrote, did a lot more writing on that one. But, uh, you know, initially it was tough because we both are kind of controlling personalities. And <laughs> yeah. so there were definitely some arguments and we had to learn some creative disagreements, creative disagreements. Luckily though, our vision, and this is tough, right? You see these, you see like songwriters and performers who just right. seem to work together really well. And I, I can only imagine that they, it's because they have the same creative vision. And so generally speaking, we do as well. Like we're, we're really on the same page, but so all, all of the disagreements are really over control. And, um, I remember when Richard finally came to the conclusion, he said, it was pretty funny because it's, I had the same problem, but, and I certainly have it now, but he said, you know, I realize is that I'm coming. I'm like, he, it would be maybe a proposal to a client. And we'd both read it and we'd both work on it. And he'd go, I made it different, but I'm not sure I made it better. And so well, that's, that's being we, honest. Yeah. It see? is, right? Yeah, and that's yeah. that's what we both have had to come to learn is sometimes we want to change things just because like <laughs> we want to put our thumbprint on it. <laughs> yes. And you just and, think and so like, that you feel like you're part of the process and you're contributing and these things. And then sometimes you just gotta trust and let it be, right? And this is a better word. And and mm -hmm. even on the new book, I remember Semantics. he's like, I want to get rid of the sentence. And I really didn't want him to get rid of the sentence. I really didn't. And I said, okay, all right, fine. Like I just had to, that was the sentence that he, that he disliked so much that it had to go fine. So it's, it's not easy, but. But I bet it's brought you two closer together too. When you have this kind of project together, I mean, it, it's an opportunity to spend more time together as a couple. And, uh, you know, I, I believe in, it's not always doing the things you love, but sometimes it's about doing the things with the ones you love. And you had an opportunity to kind of com combine that, which is just cool and, and great. And, I, and now you've, you've been doing it for, for several years. And as part of your practice, you're also do some light training as well. I think we talked about some short sessions uh, where you focus on training managers in, in, in part of your engagements. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And we speak together. I mean, we literally have a coordinated thing where we go back and forth and do on little vignettes and yeah. on stage. And so it is, we're probably one, I think we're one of very few handful of married speaking exactly. teams. Exactly. Exactly. That's got to be so that. So do you charge double when you do speaking engagements? We, <laughs> we don't. That's the other thing. We're such a, it's Two such a one. bargain. Yeah. Cool. yeah. But uh, we do it mostly because I think we, we come at the material very differently. Like mm. Rich, he's such a, he's more of the statistics numbers guy. And I think go for no has more of, of that in it. And okay. A lot of our training that a lot of the training that I do is I bring the emotional and mindset stuff to it. Like, okay, right. we yep. know that go for no works from a number standpoint, but how do you handle the 
emotional part of being rejected? How, how can you get over that? Perfect segue. So talk about the new book. You, you're titling it, uh, what they, when they say no, 41 strategies. No, yes. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Um, I need, I, I think my copy's on the way. I don't, I don't know. Is it, you should send me a copy. I, I, don't I know. did That's send fine. you a copy. Okay, cool. I, I have my, I, I have the go for no, and I'm waiting on, uh, this one to arrive. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, um, and it's funny too copies. about that. Cause I owe to so many people copies. So now at this point <laughs> I have to go back to Amazon. I don't know who has their copy and who doesn't. Uh, yeah, this, so this is a fun one. And, and so we spent all this time telling people go for no, go for no, here are more no's. And for years I have been bugging Richard. I'm like, we need a sequel to go for no. We need what's what's the next like now part what? of the story, right? <laughs> yeah. The okay. sequel. And as the creative genius of the two of us, I'm like, you have to come up with something. <laughs> I'm telling him, you have to come up with something. In the meantime, though, one of the things that we've dealt with over the years is, well, what do I do now that I'm getting no's? Like, how do I, how, how should I be responding? And what's the actual tactical strategy to take somebody who's just told me no and get them to allow me to follow up with them? And what are some other good strategies? And so that's what this book is. This book's not so much a sequel. Uh, so there's definitely room for that later. This book is a, now that you're getting no, what do you, what do you do? What mm -hmm. should you be thinking about? What should you, what are some things you can say? So it's kind of a grab More bag. A resource of, book, it sounds yeah. like, as opposed to like, the pickup where Eric left off and that sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So not a fable, definitely more of a resource. So like uh, if you hear, if you uh, hear no, maybe you're focusing too much on closing and not enough on opening. Um, maybe you're not listening closely. So you're, you're, you're going too much, just pitch, pitch, pitching, mm -hmm. and you're not listening. So you're just getting quick no's and you're just, not able to actually have that dialogue. Peel the layer of the onion back and really get to the real issues. Yeah, exactly. Um, some mindset stuff. Uh, I mean, definitely no doesn't mean all, no doesn't always mean never. It right. often means not yet. So there's just that. Uh, get curious. If you're getting a no, can you in that moment say, well, I'm just curious, why did you choose your other supplier? Uh, this other supplier to go with, get some data. And um, also just, advice like right. don't argue don't attack yeah. don't start begging don't, don't, don't get be, defensive yeah don't yeah. get defensive don't be desperate nobody wants to nobody wants to buy from a desperate salespeople salesperson so in that moment when you get a no you can't be like okay well what if i kick off you know 10 or 15 percent no can't can't <laughs> be doing that either <laughs> that's going for the yes like no that, no Exactly, exactly. And and so in, in many ways, when they say no is about getting to yes more effectively by figuring out ways of handling the no better. And then when they when you do hear yes, the yes means yes, as opposed to yes, just to get you off the phone. Yes, just to get out of this proposal process. Yes, just to get you to shut up and leave me alone. Like those aren't the genuine yeses you were, we're after. When you get to an efficient yes, You've gone through a series of no's to get there, is what you're saying. And I wish I had that line in this book. <laughs> that is the that, yes, that is exactly uh, exactly what we're saying because there are so many bad yeses, and we've mm. all gotten bad yeses because maybe we made a promise that we weren't sure could be kept, but we figured, well, cross your fingers, hopefully the delivery will be next Friday, and we're just going to say yes to that, and and so 
you end up uh, getting those bad yeses and regretting them. Yeah. Yeah. Been there, done that for sure. You know, and I think salespeople are genuinely speaking across the board are, are guilty of that a lot of times with happy years, right? We kind of hear what we want to hear because it goes yes. back to what we've said throughout this whole interview is that it's uncomfortable to hear the no. And why would you, you know, put yourself in that situation of dealing with the rejection when there's already enough built into the job? Why create more? Well, because if you lean into it, that's when you find the real yeses. The good yeses, exactly. Cool. Well, this has been enlightening. I've enjoyed the book. I look forward to the new copy. Best of luck with sales and uh, everything as you and Richard go forward. Where should we send people if they're looking to learn more, buy the book, any of those things? Both books are on Amazon. So okay. just Google go for no or when they say no, and I we will pop right up. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.